Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, Elizabeth. Hey, Julie. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm excited to have you here on Bold Becoming with us. Today we have Elizabeth Soto Baez, mm-hmm. and she is she had an identity transition, or she has an identity transition story around her marriage and divorce. Mm-hmm. And she she now, because of that all the changes she went through, which I have no idea what they were, we're going to find out, uh, is now like helping others through that, the divorce process and, and re-becoming whoever you were before and in your new version of yourself. Is that kind right. of how? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. Like? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little bit of who you used to be and a whole lot of who you choose to be. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't know if you know that I wrote a book called Masters of Change. And it's exactly about like once you're in this place of change, we call it liminality. You're not who you were before and you're not who you're becoming yet. You might not even know really exactly who you're becoming, but you're like going in some direction. And um and you are, and and th- so the great thing about it, even though, you know, people, well, my book topic is forced identity transition where you didn't actually choose it. Even though you might've chosen divorce, it wasn't like in the plan of your marriage to get divorced. So it is sort of forced. It's like things didn't work out. So you have to take a, a different step. Right. Yes. Alter the plan. It was a a deviation from the original plan for sure for sure yes 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 well let's hear your story and um and then uh I usually interrupt to sort of ask about how it impacts your identity so let's just jump into it let's do it yeah so I uh got married when I was 23 and when I stepped into that I had completed what people believe or we make up in our heads as a sequence of the appropriate events of life so I had gone to school I graduated high school with high honors I graduated college I got my master's degree I had done all the things in the correct order all by 23 I didn't get I didn't finish my master's I think until I was 30 (laughs) <laughs> but they I told just, me they told me I had to go get work experience before I applied oh, no. for graduate I'm, school. <laughs> that's funny. I um have a late birthday and my mom put me in school when I was three. So Oh God. I know it's, it's the eighties. <laughs> Everything <laughs> was different in the eighties. Um and so, you know, I graduated high school when I was 17. I got my bachelor's by the time I was 21, and then my master's, and I was like, I've done all the things. I checked off all the boxes and then I met a guy. But what did you get your master's in? I um, am a certified and licensed speech pathologist. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Yeah. And I was excited about that because I'm like, I'll be an educator. I speak Spanish. I can do all these things. So not only had I checked all the boxes, but it was all stuff that I chose right? that I wanted to do. So it felt empowering. I was like, look at me doing all the things. Yeah. And um, to you. Right. Thank you. I'm like, I'm winning at the game of life. <laughs> and then I met this guy that I thought was. Wait, can I just back up just a second yeah. also too? So if you speak Spanish, then are your parents immigrants to the United States? So my family's from Puerto Rico. And um, from the my, United States, Spanish speaking. Right. Spanish speaking country. Um, I grew up speaking it. I grew up hearing it. I knew it was an asset. It's like the second language in the States. And I thought, what an asset, like right. use it to your advantage, do something good with this skill that you have that other people wish they had. Um, so I was planning ahead. I, um, and, and so just, and so I was kind of just to get a little more of the context of all this success at 23, a mere 23, were you like a first generation college graduate in your family? Was or, I a first generation? Let me scan. So my, my dad did not. And my mom was going to college while she was parenting me and my brother. Oh, so she God. got her bachelor's before God. me, but not very much before. Um, she went to, I think she went to weekend school for like a decade to get her bachelor's. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. wow. Um, I was, I was, <laughs> we're going to go all the way back. I was a surprise baby. And okay. so my mom got pregnant when she was in her early twenties, not expected, didn't end up staying with that guy. Like it was a very tumultuous start to her twenties. And so when I came along, it was like, Oh God, what am I doing? And so when she finally found a little bit of stability, she got married, she went to school all this time. And so I'm watching my mom go and do this thing. It's, it was different. Um, a lot of my friends' parents had already done that before they were parents. And I was watching my mom go to college. So it was a no brainer that I was going to do the same. Um, if I scan like my family, so Puerto Ricans, first generation, we all speak English with some Spanish, uh, but a lot of them didn't go to college. And so I was one of just a few of the cousins of that generation that that got a degree and got a master's not all of them got master's some of them got bachelor's and it was just I was really just winning I was a Hispanic girl who beat the odds on life and was educated and using a seemingly um debt a seeming loss or detriment like being a Hispanic person speaking Spanish wasn't necessarily an asset but I had turned it into an asset and yeah, in, in this country, we actually tried to prohibit right. um, your mom's generation from speaking Spanish. Right. I work, yeah, that's it, some of yeah. the work I do as a speech pathologist in the schools, educating mm -hmm. families on this exact thing. And yeah. so it wasn't lost on my young self what a huge thing I was doing. So mm -hmm. I really was thinking like, wow, I'm doing these amazing things. Uh, that isn't to say that I ha didn't have some underlying fears or limiting beliefs or stories, but I didn't know that. I was just like, I'm the Hispanic girl that made it out of the hood, that's using this Spanish language skill to change the lives of other Hispanics in the world. Let's go. Yeah. And 
I met a guy and I was like, oh my God, I met a guy. I got like, look, everything's going so nice. And um, he seemed to be a lot of the things that I perceived as important in that season of life. Things that I thought I could build on. And he wanted me to see that. He wanted me to see the things that I wanted to see. And so I was like, great, let's get married. Wait, so what the were these thing. things? What are the top five things that? Um, well, in that season of life, I was part of a religious community that he was also a part of. And that felt empowering to me. Um, he loved working with students. And so did I. So he was all about kids. And so was I. And that felt really nourishing. Um, he loved traveling and reading. And so did I. And so I'm like, oh my God, we can travel together. We can read books together. We can be part of this community together. Um, we can lift each other up and the things that we're up to, like, it just felt like, ah, oh, and we're young so we can grow together. And as we do that, we like weave in our lives. I support you, you support me. Um, it just felt like it all made sense. His family were beautiful humans and they accepted me right away. They thought it was great. And that felt really nourishing. I didn't have scary in-laws. I loved my in-laws. And um, and he he was Caucasian. So he had some of the white America stuff that I didn't know anything about. Mm -hmm. So I was learning about like, so how do white people do things, which sounds funny to say out loud, but it was different. So I was learning about a different culture in a different way. And, and so what exciting. are some of the top three white American things you didn't know about? Um, this is such a funny thing. Um, you know, one of them is he grew up in a house, had a garage and a backyard always. I had no idea what that was. I'm like, what do you mean you own a house? Now we lived in a condo that my parents owned. But living in a condo and owning your own home with a pool in the backyard and your, you know, dog that always hangs out in a front porch swing, that was like TV land stuff. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand what that was. Um, the uh, some funny things that I talk about now <laughs> is casserole. I'm like, what's casserole? <laughs> I know when I went to, so I, I went when I was 17 to Columbia, South America as a high school exchange student for a year. And of course, you know, they're asked, they asked me, what do you eat? And I'm like, oh, my mom makes casseroles all the time. And I could, I didn't know how to describe it to them, but it was, and I had never thought about how do you describe a casserole? And basically, oh, yeah. in, in in the families I lived, the two families I lived with, I don't know if they ever used an oven, really. Um, but anyway. It, That's like, funny because oven is storage. Come on, Julie, don't you know? You put all your pants <laughs> in the oven. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, I did not spend time in the kitchens in Colombia. That's for sure. That is funny. So uh, casseroles were funny to me. And I was like, I don't know what this is. And you know, along that food line is like rice is a staple food. We eat rice all the time. So eating rice from a box like Uncle Ben's or something, a rice aroni, I'm like, what is this? Why are you eating Instead this? of a like 25 pound bag of like rice. Like the bag and you cook it in the pot, like butter in rice. I was like, what is that? What do you mean you put butter in your rice? That's gross. Don't you eat beans and rice? Like, so it was, I wasn't, I wasn't critical of it. It was just eye opening to, to realize so many differences that we had. The other funny thing is lazy Susans. I'm like, what's a lazy Susan? 
and and they would chuckle with me but not at me like oh liz lazy susan you know and they would show me and i'm like nobody that i know knows about what this is <laughs> oh my, God. No. My, my friend the other night was just telling me about her three level lazy susan that broke <laughs> i was can you imagine a three leveled one <laughs> I was like, okay, there's so much to learn. And I love to learn and I love culture and I love humans and I love stories and what they bring. So all of that was so enticing to me. He also wanted to cook for me. And that was very different than a Hispanic man oh. who's like, you cook for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh my God, this white guy who's going to cook for me who's going to pick me up and take me places, who's going to teach me about these other levels of how to live an abundant life in a way that I don't know. And he loves to read and travel. Like, I was like, okay, I won the game. I won the game. Uh, so I walked into it feeling excited. My wedding day was like my favorite day. I felt the most beautiful that day. Nothing could go wrong. I walked into it like, I don't care what happens. I'm getting married today. And everything could go wrong. And I will still be beautiful in my dress. And I will be married at the end of the day. And nothing else really matters. Good job. Um, and I got married in Arizona in October. So it was 90 degrees. Yeah, and it was, well. yeah, and it was beautiful. It was a beautiful day. And um, you, this is your 23 still? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we met when I was, I think, 22. We got married very fast. So in hindsight, that would have not been something that I would have done. But I thought I was on track. So I just went for it. And and the community that I was in, getting married early, saving yourself for marriage was top priority. So it Wait, was like- saving yourself? Yes, like not having sex before oh, okay. marriage. For for marriage. Right. Okay. So it was like, okay, well, I know that you're amazing. I'm amazing. We like the same stuff. Here we go. It wasn't very long into our marriage that I realized that maybe I had messed up. And I would say it probably occurred to me weeks into it, weeks. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't live together before we were married. I had never lived with anybody. And so my family, but I had never lived with anybody, not even roommates. So I knew there was going to be some challenges. He hadn't lived outside of his home. He'd mm -hmm. always lived with his parents. So I'm like, there's going to be some hurdles. Living with people's a different ballgame. Like you got to know that I went into it like completely open to the fact that it's, they're going to be surprises. Right. Um, but it wasn't too long in that I was like, oh, wow, I messed up. And I couldn't say that out loud to anybody because we had just had a wedding and it was my best day. And how, how shameful of me to suddenly be like, wow, that was that choice. Um, the first year of my marriage was awful. It was the absolute worst year. Okay, before you and go into the first year, after the first weeks, what, what, came up that you started to um think that you made a mistake um so we hadn't ever really argued before which again in hindsight I'm like you need to have healthy arguments with your person before you decide to commit your whole life to them and we hadn't really um and we were really young so we were like oh my god we're winning we never argued uh that is a fallacy <laughs> and um 
he was very critical of how I moved in the world, of how I wanted to be. He gave me a hard time for not doing things the way he did them. Um, one of the biggest arguments we had was that I liked to go to sleep early and wake up early. And he liked to go to bed late and wake up late. And I was criticized regularly for wanting to go to bed early. Um, and I just thought, this is just like what I'm like. Like I wake up early, I go to work. I, I have to travel for work. So I have to be up relatively early for this activity. Like I'm tired at like nine or nine 30, which is not unreasonable. Like it's early, but it's not like I didn't go to bed at eight. Um, and it became an argument every time, like door slamming, like mm -hmm. really frustrating, criticizing the early bird, like me going to bed early thing always came up. I was married for 13 and a half years. Mm -hmm. I was criticized for the entirety of my marriage for wanting to go to bed early, mm -hmm. for preferring to go to bed before 10 and waking up at six or five. And even though I had explained to him like where I was at with that, that was never accepted. Mm -hmm. And, and because it was never accepted, it was a point of contention and a thing that he felt he could criticize me about. And so it's like, oh, if I'm not safe, and I can use this language now, but I didn't have it then. If I'm not safe to just have my regular bodily activities happen in a way that feels nourishing to me, how can I do other things? How can I be safe with you with things that are like, are really important, like how I feel about things or what's hard in my life or the challenges I'm facing professionally or, and so those things came up. I felt like I was being attacked all the time. I felt when, like I was being criticized often. One more, one more thing I want clarity on. Mm -hmm. You, you said he criticized or, or how you moved through the world. So what is, what does that mean? Yeah. Moving through the world. So like um, the friends I wanted to have, the activities I wanted to be part of, um, the things that I found joyful, the things that I wanted to be doing that maybe he didn't necessarily prefer. Um, the sleep thing was totally a thing. Um, we, we realized that some of our daily movements of how we wanted to be weren't in alignment. And so it was like, why don't you want to do this? And why can't we do this? And I don't want to do what you're doing. Like, that's ridiculous. Why would I ever do that? Uh, but it was, the responses were critical and judgmental. It wasn't like, that's curious. I've never done that. Like, tell me about that. Or let's try it. Cause I don't know. I don't, I've never done that before, but it was like, that's dumb. Or you're it's so mean. silly. Right. Cool. And so the emotional um, abuse of it was apparent immediately but I didn't know because okay so I don't this I, I know just as much as the audience knows of your story and if this doesn't end up in domestic violence I'll be surprised but um but just mentioning emotional abuse I mean it's it's this is um let's just hear more because this is it's actually scary at this point it so because it is, and I can say that now looking back all right. those years ago, but in that season, I thought it was my fault. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what these relationships are like. Yeah. I thought that I was not good. 
that I had messed up, that I needed to be better, that I had to read more and pray more and do more and have more so that he would be happy with who I was and he would stop criticizing me or giving me a hard time. And I did a lot of stuff. So I can say I did it because I wanted him to be happy with me, but the residuals of it were lasting. I did a lot of self-work. I read a lot of books. I, I journaled all the time. Like I did some, I went to therapy. Like I did things for me, hoping that my marriage would improve. It didn't. Um, it did not end in domestic violence. Um, but, but, you know, I sat with a therapist one time. <laughs> I did, when she said this to me, I'm like, I don't know if I should laugh or cry. Um, I'd been seeing her for a while. And at the end of one session, she's like, you know what? You're doing everything I've suggested. Everything that you're sharing with me sounds exactly like what I would recommend. She listed out all the things we had discussed. She's like, I'm not really sure what else to do for you. Um, you know, if he doesn't come in, then I, you know, there's nothing else I can do. And I was like, I don't know if I should be so proud of myself or so angry that I'm doing all this work, but I'm just going to stay stuck in this stagnant space because he refuses to go see a therapist because we don't need it because nothing's wrong because everything's fine and it's just you and I don't need therapy, which is not uncommon, but I didn't know that. And I was just so infuriated all the time. So in this space, I thought it was all my fault. So I did a ton of work, but I was also, my light was dimming. Mm -hmm. I went into that marriage bright and excited and empowered and yeah. full of life and full of excitement and full of like, I'm going to love you and we're going to connect and we're going to build this life together, like truly build. And he started squashing out my, my light. Um, and it was, it was numbing. When I looked back on it, I numbed out pretty quick. That, that became my default coping. Like I don't feel anything. I don't feel happy and I don't feel sad and I don't feel angry. I feel zero things later learns that, you know, you dampen one feeling, you dampen all of them. And that's right. really how I lived my life. And so you can smile and pretend to be happy, but my insides were like black kind of dead yeah and so because it wasn't safe to be angry or disappointed or sad yeah. nope. because that would just cause more conflict right and blame and stuff like that right like what's wrong with you why are you sad everything is fine everything is fine became kind of a trigger um the word silly became kind of like why are you being so silly that mm. became a trigger. Um, like the stories that he would like, oh, this one. <laughs> I'm better about this one, but like it's all in your head. There's nothing. It's in your head. You know, I've learned a lot about our thinking minds and our intuitive bodies now. But in that space, I'm like, this is real for me. Right. And you are not validating my reality, even if you don't know what it, if you're not experiencing it, that doesn't make it less real for me. Right. Or like I was always told you're too sensitive. See, how can I mean, you help how fucking, oops, how can you help how sensitive you are? 
Right. You know? I have a friend Definitely. who's like that. Yeah. I And you know what? I wasn't sensitive. I was like, I had numbed out in a, in a way that I was like, you do whatever the hell you want to do. Like, I don't have to do what you're doing. So I was numb and empty, but I wasn't being dragged into all the things that he wanted to do either. It's like, mm-hmm. you go, you do you. I don't feel like doing that. And, and, and there were, you know, it came to a place where it's like, I don't want to do any of the things that you want. I don't want to be in any of the places that you are. I don't want to participate in any of the required activities that your role at work require. Um, And so I'm like, I'm not going to keep you from doing them, but I'm not showing up for that. And I'm not playing any roles for you. Like, I'm not going to pretend to be anything. And that made him really uncomfortable too, because, and this is still something that he struggles with. We're in a much better place now, but he really cared about what people thought about him in a way that was so hurtful to me. And I could have cared less what people thought because I felt so awful that I didn't have any capacity to pretend about anything. Yeah. Not that you should be pretending, <clears throat> but it was just so I was so empty that it was like, I don't really care. Like, let your work friends think whatever they want to think. They don't live my life. They're not in my house. They have no idea who you are when you get home. Right. Um, and so you were being, in a sense, you were also being defiant to him. I to, was. To just, like, stay on your, make your own choices, even though you weren't, you were so turned off emotionally that it wasn't like we think of the word defiance as intentionally like pushing back anyway um I was he knew that I was unhappy but it didn't matter that much to him yeah and I had explained it to him more times that I can count um and I had written him handwritten letters got married in the early 2000s and so you know I could have emailed (laughs) but I wrote handwritten letters to in an effort to be heard Mm -hmm. which ended up being like one of the limiting beliefs that I was feeling triggered that I didn't know but this idea of nobody listens to what I say nobody cares what I have to say and it was so Like the salt in that wound was all the salt he poured in. And so I would write him handwritten letters. And um, I remember we lived in Arizona and we were going to move to Connecticut, which is where we are now. And he came ahead a month. My sons were two and four. Okay. So you had, you had kids. Yep. I have two boys and uh, he left and it was the best. I was like, thank you, God, that he is gone for the next month. And I was more than happy, elated to single parent my two tiny humans and work full time um, alone. And pack up the house on your own. And keep the house clean so that we could show it because we were selling it and do all of the things. It was so much more satisfying. I had so much more peace in my body when he left because I didn't Mm. have to deal with him. And I wrote him a letter and I said, it is better that you are not here. 
this is a better situation for hold me. On, hold on, I got bad on my side. So okay, now you you're wrote better. him a letter and you said it's better what? It's better this way. It's better that you're gone. So you wrote him a letter and you said what again? Sorry. Um, in the letter, it was snail mail. So I put it in the actual postal service. Um, it was a long letter. It had a lot of things in it. But uh, the big thing was, this is better. I'm glad that you're not here. Um, I would much rather do this alone than have you around. Um, and and this I was is just, after how many years of marriage? This was after five, nine years, nine years. So um, you, you knew what you were talking about. Yep. 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 And, uh, you know, nothing changed. He didn't do anything about that. He never likes addressed it with me when I came and moved. He didn't say, let's do therapy. He didn't say, I'm sorry, this is happening. He didn't say, I don't understand, but I want to understand. Like there's a million things that you could say and none of them were said. And when our 10 year anniversary rolled around, I was miserable. I'm like, I don't, I don't care that we've been married for 10 years. This has been like misery. Like I hate what's happening. I don't, I don't want to be here, but I just didn't have the courage to leave because I walked into the marriage telling myself, you are going to be a married person. Mm -hmm. I came from a lineage of multiple divorced family members. And so I was like, I want, I want to be married. I want to build life. I want to be connected. It's hard, but it's wonderful. Right. Isn't that what they say? Marriage is hard, but oh my gosh, it's so wonderful. That's what they tell you. And then <laughs> and I was like, when does the wonderful part start? I don't know. I can't say. And, uh, and I was like, this isn't wonderful to me. So, um, in 20, 19. Um, Wait, let me just ask another question. Cause in my book, I have this chapter on support mm. and everybody like there's, there's these eight pillars of mastering forced change. And one of them is, and, and each person has like, like different uses, different ones more or less. So in, in one of the chapters is support. So what did your friends have to say about what was going on or were you cut off from your friends the way many of these kind of relationships uh, sort of Can engineer? Be. Right. So great question. We had friend groups in Arizona. Uh, it ended up being that we lived in a place where so many couples were in our same age range doing the same thing in life. We were all in the same season, little kids, young marrieds, 20 somethings, like we were doing the same stuff. And I, we were part of that group, but I didn't feel deeply connected to any of the wives in the, in this friend group. So I never, ever said anything about what was actually happening. And there were, of course, parts of me that were like, it's my fault that this is wrong. So I was like, the rub was, it's your fault, but it's not really your fault, but you're doing all the work, but he's not doing any work. And what will people think? So I did have a little bit of, you know, nobody's completely free of the people, the, the, what do people think about me? Um, I, there was a little bit of shame around, like my marriage is awful. The other part that was like hard is that my ex husband was a pastor in a church that we all went to. Oh God. 
just the one. Oh, God is right. So, oh, so he's you're supposed to be the perfect wife and he's this wonderful. Right. Like, oh, my God, he's a man guy. of God. Like, you must be living the dream. <laughs> I was like, what are you thinking? And so, you know, part partly for his benefit, I didn't blow it up because I'm mm-hmm. like, he has to work and he has to save some face. Like, this is his job. It hurts me if he doesn't have this job. Mm-hmm. It was very convoluted. Now, I did have two friends that were not local. And you had that, the therapist. And I had the therapist, yeah. right? I had two friends that were not local that knew a lot of what was happening. Okay. So you did have, you did have some outlets. I did. I did. And And did he um, know about your those friends? Yep. He did. And he didn't particularly enjoy them. Shocker. Uh, (laughs) But, (laughs) um, you know, one of actually one of them I'm, I'm no longer friends with, but uh, they both watched him treat me poorly they both knew that things were not healthy because they would be in the home and see him be not amazing to me. So even in front of others, he would be mean. He was very oblivious. He was so unaware. As a matter of fact, part of that. So after I decided we would get divorced and I set it up, um, his aunt called me. It was his mother's sister. Now his mother passed away before we got divorced. She actually passed away before we moved to Connecticut. She called me and she said, Cindy and I were so worried about you. Cindy, my mother-in-law knew what was happening and she always wanted to protect you and always wanted to like, take care of you. She saw him being how his dad was Mm -hmm. and she wanted to tell him to stop, but he didn't listen to her. He was with her the way he was with me. You're ridiculous. That's silly. Stop the nonsense. No, it's not really like how you're saying it is. And so she never told him. But when my, you know, this aunt, this woman, she's like, I'm so glad you got out of that. That was awful for you. And she was telling me stories of things that she noticed. And I was like, oh my God, people were watching this for years. People watched this happen to me. So it was both validating, like, you're right, you're not crazy. It wasn't your fault. And it's, you know, there's some like, I can breathe a sigh of relief, but also like, oh my gosh, people watch this. And because it's scary to get into people's marriages or make comments about relationships, people just don't. And it's how women stay stuck in marriages because they're ashamed that people will judge them, blame them. And be critical of them for wanting something different. And yeah, I have hard. a I have a um a Colombian friend who left her husband. It was very unpleasant. He was he wasn't physically abusive, but he was emotionally the way your husband was, and just saying mean things. And and so her Colombian and she I met her here in the United States and anyway she's back in Colombia now but and her Colombian family just completely doesn't understand like why she's divorced yep. because he never beat her right and they just didn't have the concept of well there's different levels of abuse and psychological abuse is very bad too right it doesn't it doesn't you don't have to have your life physically threatened to be in a bad marriage. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, yes. and, and I can understand because, you know, I did live in Colombia and I'm not, you know, like 100% on top of the culture, but, you know, they, they do have, you know, their ideas about, you know, what women, you know, the put up with. Right. Right. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a Hispanic generalization. So generally speaking across most Hispanic cultures, so all of South America, the Caribbean, I'm not sure about Spain, but men are the breadwinners. They are machistas. They are like, I'm the man. You are just the wife. Uh, you serve me. You take care of me. You take care of the babies. I bring in the money. That's how we make this work. Uh, and and I will do whatever I want with yes, my money, get, right. with my body. I can have as many women as I want. Right. Um, just but not I mean, you. These these, these <laughs> are I, right. Total double standard. Yep. Not you. And, and and of course these are generalizations, but generalizations are there for a reason. Yeah. Right. Um, so my, my family <clears throat> didn't, uh, prescribe to that line of thinking. Um, the women in my family were typically the ones that initiated divorces because of psychological, like, um, abuse, basically. Um, no, none of them would say that to me now out loud, but I think that's what it was. And, um, so I, you know, 2019 comes around and part of what woke me up was I, uh, got a, an email from my high school sweetheart. I hadn't talked to that guy in 20 years. Yeah. 20 years. Exactly. He ghosted me before ghosting was a word. He like just up and left, no explanation, no, like, Hey, this is whatever. And that was awful. It was bad for me that there was a lot of residuals of that in my life, in my marriage, that being left piece, like people just leave. Nobody listens and people just leave. Um, he found me randomly. He sent an email to my work email. I'm like, how the hell did you get my work email? Like, what are you doing? What is happening? You're the one who decided you didn't want to talk to me anymore 20 years ago. Why are you hanging out now? What's happening? And we reconnected. We had conversations. What's happened in 20 years? So many things. And on a couple of the conversations, he started to reminisce because that's what you do about who he remembered I was in high school. Okay. This is identity stuff. Go for it. And it was hard not to cry when I listened to who he remembered I was. Um, And he said, you were the fun, beautiful girl that everybody wanted to be like. You made everything happen. You were in all the clubs. You organized different events. You were the smartest girl in the building. Like you did so many things. You sang, you were part of the church. You did stuff. It was so amazing to see you know yourself in high school. Know and be yourself. Right. Now, high school Liz would never be like, oh my God, I know myself. High school Liz had lots of insecurities and identity stuff, but it's really fascinating to hear from someone else's perspective, what you, how you showed up in the world. And 
I, was at, like, at, at my, and this is going to be real short, at yeah. my 40 year eighth grade reunion, the first reunion we ever had, this uh, classmate came and and told me what an impact I had made on her. And, and I always thought I was a bad girl because I used to beat up the boys to be able to play in their sports games. And, and anyway, I was, and then, and then a number of years went by and just like a few months ago, I was in Portland, Oregon, and I went and visited her and I was like, you know, I really appreciate you telling me that, but, and, and it turns out that she was talking about, she only knew me in kindergarten and then she went to a different school until middle school. Cause I had thought she had known me all through like kindergarten through fifth grade when I had, be, you know, been mm -hmm. this person that would like beat anybody up physically who got in my way. And, and she was, she was like, no, no, I went off to the other school. And so it was like, since kindergarten, she noticed and, and, and I was like a role model for her because she, cause I did speak my mind and she couldn't do that. And it was like really fascinating how you don't know who you are to the other people. Right. Even, even as an adult, Oh, but, as, but especially as a kid. Oh yeah. And so, oh, yeah, yeah, you in high school, not maybe feeling as successful as you actually were, you know, right. because you were actually doing all those things. Maybe you didn't feel on top of the world, but you actually had huge success and went on to have more success. So this, so you, so this guy is telling you, and you're really sad because you're not that person anymore or what? No, it was, uh, no, it was, it became really it, black and white, like this con comparing contrast. I'm not woke you living up. like that girl. So when he talked about her, she felt simultaneously like a totally different human and like the version of me that had died. And that was not fully dead. She was kind of like, oh my God, somebody sees me. It was like that moment of being truly seen, not mm -hmm. just seeing my physicalness, but seeing the inside, seeing my soul, seeing how I am in the world. And he was the guy I dated. So he was privy to like all the things that I was really up to. And even though I felt insecure and lonely in high school, that's not what he saw. And I thought that's really who I am actually. And what happened to me? And I can't be married to a man who has no idea who I am. You knew me when I was 16. I'm in my mid thirties now. And you know me better than the guy I've been living with for 13 years. This is wild. I don't even like I had to like take a step back and be like, how can a man who knew me in high school know me better now than the guy I've been living with for 13 years? That is bonkers. And that was my like scales out of my eyes. The the piece that was laid and locked in the key to the door where I knew you can't stay married. 
you're really done. This can't continue to happen. This man that you're married to has zero interest in understanding and valuing and validating who you really want to be, who you are in the world. Because if he did, he would have been doing it all this time. Or at the very least, he would have been curious about how to do it. And there was none of those things. And so- And, and your potential is just going to waste. Oh, yes. I just did a live today. And I was like, I lived most of my adult life feeling- like I was on the hamster wheel, like nothing was happening. I was so numb and empty and lost and doing nothing when there was plenty of space to do things. I was a mom of little kids and I worked full time, but that didn't mean that I couldn't do things. Uh, but because I was so emotionally wiped, I didn't have capacity to do anything. Mm -hmm. So after that, those conversations, a conversation with a bestie who was like, yeah, Liz, I've been seeing this for a long time. I'm like, why did that help? And what I've what I've learned is partially it's hard to tell people hard things because you don't know how they're going to receive them. Okay. Sometimes we're not ready to hear the truth of what needs to be told to us. We're not always ready for it. And, and it's possible that I just wasn't ready to listen. So I <laughs> uh, I wrote a lit my mom. She's like, write a list. He's not going to listen to you. She said that. I'm like, he never listens to me. She's like, I know. So here you go. Write a list of all the reasons why you have to do this. And I did. And it was a long list on college ruled, like uh, loose leaf paper. So skinny lines all the way down, long list. And he was floored, completely blindsided. And I kind of laughed because I was like, you can't actually be blindsided, can you? Like, I've written how many handwritten letters? How many times have I asked you to go to counseling with me? How many times have I told you this is hard? How many times have I said, please, I'm, we're not good? Like in clear, in, we are not good. Like how much clearer? I am not happy. And so once I made that decision, there was no going back. Like I, I, I was free. The minute I made the decision and told him freedom, immediately, instant way off my back, I could breathe. Actually, one of the stories that I share is I didn't realize I was suffocating, literally suffocating all the time. I actually had anxiety that I didn't know. It was undiagnosed. I would catch myself gasping for air. I would feel pressure in my chest. I even went to a cardiologist like, hey, my heart's weird. Like, help me. Um, and I walked away from that feeling so empowered. Like I finally did something for me. And it was through that space where I was like, I'm free now. I'm free. But you walked mom. away from that, meaning the marriage? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there was a process in that, you know, the divorce process took time and he hoped that we would get better and he wanted to go to counseling now. And, oh, um, oh, wow. Now, I was like, of course later. you want to go to counseling now, you ridiculous human. Like, you should have gone, we should have gone to counseling before we had babies when I asked you to go. Um, so I realized I needed to spend time by myself. Mm -hmm. I needed to rediscover who I was. And it was helpful to have connected with the guy from high school because he kind of reminded me of some of the things that I loved. And so I could explore those things again. We forget what's fun. We forget what we love. We forget what brings joy because we're so busy trying to survive. And I was finally in a space where I could move from survival mode into thriving. And that was during COVID. <laughs> 
So, mm-hmm. so COVID was actually a gift because I had to be alone with myself because I had to talk to me only. I had to do the hard work, read the books, do, I did, you know, telehealth counseling. And I was like, this is the year of you discovering you again. Cause she didn't really die. She just was dormant. And I ended up going to get trained as a coach. I also had women call me and say, how'd you do it? Mm-hmm. How'd you know you needed to get divorced? Right. I think I might need to. I think I need to do that, Liz. Tell me more. And I was like, holy shit, people. Excuse me. Oh my gosh, people are watching. People want this. Women are suffering. It's not just me. And you know, now I can say you're never alone in what you feel. It's never just you. It is always other women, always other humans experiencing what you experience. And I realized, okay, I can do this work. I can support and be a catalyst of change and transformation for women who want to do that, who feel ashamed to tell their story because they don't want to be judged. And so I got training and I was like, let's do it. And it was amazing. And I, you know, there was a lot of healing in the training process too, because you're a client of the work as well. Even, even as we do our work as coaches, it's still healing us. It's very interesting that we the universe kind of like put your boyfriend, your former boyfriend back in connection. Well, as a coach, the clients that we get somehow have, they're learning some lesson that actually we also need to learn. It's, it's, it's a little eerie, actually. (laughs) I do. (laughs) It's like, we don't do it on purpose, but it's like, no, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I have absolutely learned so much from my clients and my clients are so inspiring. They show up and they're like, I want to do this, Liz. And they show up and they make things happen. And I learn from their inspiration, from their excitement about like, oh my God, I can live this life now. I don't have to be under anybody's thumb anymore. Uh, rediscovering the gifts that they have to offer and then putting them to work, like doing it. I'm like, oh my God, I love this so much. So it was awful. And now I'm like, it's been five years and it has been a beautiful, expansive, challenging, learningful ride of healing and growth and connection with myself and connection with people who actually love and want to be with me because I am me, even when I'm not pleasant. (laughs) Being human. If I want to go to bed at nine or 9.30, I get to do that because that's what serves and nourishes me. And I don't have to feel judged. (laughs) I know, Liz, are you kidding? What are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, it's like people have their their biological preferences. It's just- It's just what I'm about. And- I should never be criticized, judged, or put down for what works or nourishes me or what's interesting to me. And neither should you, neither should anyone. And so, yes, I have come a long way. And the women that have been along for the ride since 2019 through now, they will 100% say, you are absolutely not that human anymore. Like, I can't even recognize you you're different people completely Mm. um 
to show up how you show up and do what you do and set the boundaries that you said because nobody has boundaries. <laughs> boundaries are rough. And so it has been, and I'm still doing the work. And what I tell my clients and what I do in my work is you don't, there's no destination. You're not arriving to right. a specific location. We're growing. You are transforming always. You're noticing new things about you, your blind spots and what you love and what brings you joy will change and shift as you change and shift. And there's nothing wrong with that or you. You get to make new discoveries about things like that. So, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with with being confused and not knowing whether you want to do this or that, and changing your mind, pivoting. That's actually part of the job. Yes, my new mantra is: you can always change your mind. It's nice. okay to do that. Yeah, and and that not knowing that kept me trapped in a marriage way longer than it needed to because that I was afraid thing. that one thing uh, because I was afraid to change my mind, you know, and my mom, when I ended up, you know, telling my ex and all the things and my mom was around, she goes, why didn't you leave him the first year? It's like, okay, we're like 13 and a half years in this game. I can't spend a ton of time back there, but I did it because I'm like, marriage is hard and I just got married. Like, I can't go back now. I can't change my mind after, you know, a few months of marriage. Well, and I you have, and you, and you have hope that because you know that you can change, you also think maybe he can change. And so you have there that hope. A hundred percent. There was hope yeah, I that mean, like some people do actually change. Right. Yes. There was absolutely <laughs> hope. That we would. Well, it's not up... illogical that that right. things could get better. Right. Right. And I was like, maybe everybody says the first year's the hardest. Right. And so I was like, okay, it was it was bad, but it's over. It's gonna get better from here, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that isn't to say that there weren't moments of like laughter and joy, but the bulk of that time was empty and numb and sad. So we're done with that now. <laughs> so you made your transformation. You you got that wake-up call where somebody witnessed the reality of who you actually were. And it resonated because you knew that that person was still inside of you, but sort of on lockdown that has had been suffocating all of this time and what but there had to be some sort of courage there still in that wake-up call what was the courage ingredient to actually follow through on that in because you got an insight you right. were witnessed you you recognized that that person is still in there that person needs to get out so that's that's insight so to, but to take the action to actually initiate the divorce, what, where, where did that courage come from? And what did that look like? It was layered. It was layered. Part of it was, I just really felt empowered. Like I felt an injection of in my power in that moment. And it was like a bursting open of that trapped me. You just, you just reconnected some neuron stuff happened. Yes. It was like, oh my gosh, 
I can't be married anymore. Let's you, go. You you unlocked yourself through that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which is fast. It was the energy I got from that realization was the first burst of energy that I had had in my body like that ever, where you just know what you know, that knowingness, that intuitive piece that is numb and, and closed for so many women because we're conditioned to believe that we shouldn't listen to what we know in our bodies. And so I had that burst of knowingness, but then I had the women like who'd watched me, my, my friend who was, those are, that's the layer. Yeah. These are the layers. My, and I'm like, this is what happened. This is what this guy told me. And both the women that were closest to me were like, yeah, Liz, we wondered what happened to you. Like they verified that, like you haven't been that person that I met like at your wedding, you're, you haven't been her in so long. I was like, oh my God, what? Me? what? <laughs> um, so they verified that. And then I had a conversation with my mom and my mom was like, tell me more about what's happening. And I hadn't shared with my mom a lot because I love my mom. We're help, like we're good, but she wasn't like my go-to for healthy emotional support. Um, and so she's like, why didn't you tell me? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't connect all the dots. Okay. And she's like, you do not have to stay married. Like you need to be good. And there's something about your mom telling you to do something or not that even as a grown up, that does something inside of you. And so when my mom sort of like gave me permission, it was just another layer of like, it's okay that you do this. You know, the other side part was that that guy hung around for a little while. So I got to reconnect with him and learn more about him. And so we hadn't, when I, when he had this conversation with me, it was less than a month before I decided to end my marriage. So we had only had a couple of conversations before I was like, yeah, this, oh my God, what am I doing? And so he stuck around for a little while and we like really unpacked, like, what was life like? What's life like now? How are you doing these things? And, um, and that was another layer of like, I need to like, not be with you anymore because I really, I want to talk more to this guy. And I feel like I'm betraying you by doing that, even though we're not doing anything. Um, cause you're insecure about that. And I know that I don't love you and I can't be married to you anymore. So we're good it was layered. And so it's important for women who are feeling like this to have their people mm -hmm. and talk about that so much. Mm -hmm. You need your people, people that love you, no matter what is happening in your life or who, how you show up. It doesn't have to be a lot of people. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's just one or two. It has people. to be the right people. Yes. The right people. Because the there can be wrong people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, 100%. I have that in my support thing is sometimes you actually should let go of people and it, including family members. hundred percent. You know, it, 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 you know, there are wrong people in your current chapter of life. Yes. And <laughs> I agree with that. A hundred. I actually just talked to a few clients. I'm like, you need to do an audit. It's time to evaluate who you are allowing in your life mm -hmm. and who brings you joy and energy, no matter how you show up and who is an energy vampire. Yeah. Um, and yeah, 
So I was, I did have that. Um, and so I had people to cry with and lean on and, and be sad with and grieve with that weren't going to give me a hard time about being in grief. And that felt mm -hmm. really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And didn't try to solve your problems for you. No. Well, one of, one of them was try was a fixer. We're, we're not friends anymore, but, um, <laughs> for lots of reasons, but the one friend actually lives in Texas and I was like, it's really bad. I'm coming to Texas and on a whim, like it was like a Monday and I flew out Wednesday and stayed with her and cried without permission. Like I'm not a crier. So the weeping that was just falling out of my body, I'm like, I don't understand this while I'm weeping. I'm like, I don't understand how this is happening, but obviously I've had a lot of pent up emotional stuff that I've not released. Mm -hmm. So here I am snotty nose, weepy, can't talk to you very much. Cause I can't talk. And she was like, you get to just cry for however long you need to cry for. And I'll just mm -hmm. be here and scratch your head. I was like, Oh my God, you're going to scratch my head. We're besties. <laughs> So yeah, it's important to have the right people in your life because it, it feels it feels terrifying to make a decision like that. And I'm really grateful for those humans that stood by me when it was not beautiful. Like it was rough. It's a very vulnerable space to be. And so you need to have really good people around you. Yeah. You know, at, at other times when we're stronger in life, you know, we can handle yeah a lot of different more different kinds of people um but when you're in a very delicate place such as leaving the marriage mm -hmm. it, it's yeah it's very it's delicate hard. very vulnerable and so it's a good good idea to really really pick your friends wisely at that point yeah yeah 100 percent. i lost a lot of friends in that process too um, I call it the great sifting because when that process went through, it was like the people that really want to be with me in my life because of me will stay. And the people who believe that they have a better idea or that they have the answer or that they are, you know, that I didn't try hard enough, uh, which or is that what don't I don't like you want you to stay as you were, were. Because mm -hmm. you're not um, fun anymore or whatever. I know, like, well, a lot of them were like, well, who do we choose now? Do we choose you as a friend or we do, do we choose your ex-husband as a friend? And what do I do? I'm like, mm -hmm. man, if it's hard to choose, don't pick me. <laughs> like, it shouldn't be hard to choose who you want to be friends with. You pick the friends that you feel excited about, that nourish you, that right. you're connected with, that you're in alignment with. It shouldn't be hard to decide. If right. you don't know, the answer is no. Right. That's good. And that is good. The sifting, I was so free. That was another freeing thing. Like, don't be my friend. It's so good. I'm really good with that. And I felt at peace with all the people that dropped off. And I didn't feel bad. And I wasn't ashamed. And I didn't pretend to be anything that I wasn't. It was like, go be his friend or don't be anybody's friend. Like, live your life. Be who you want to be. I'm so good. Um, and it, that also can be scary for some women. So we've talked about that in some sessions, like, you know, what do you do? And it is scary. You say it is scary, but in the grand scheme of your life, it will serve you to have the sifting 
to choose who you want to include in your life because you get to decide. Mm -hmm. You get to choose as who an you adult. want yeah. to be. Yes, as an adult, you get to decide. And if not only do we get to, it's our responsibility. Yes, it is our responsibility. Wow, that is a good one. Yes, it really is. Wow. Well, listen, this is so fascinating and I would love to find out more details, but you know, our listeners yes. don't want to hear. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go on forever. Um, in a nutshell, wh who were you? What's your identity? Like you've already described it a lot, but just in a nutshell, like when you got married at the depth of your unhappiness in your marriage and then who you are now sure so Snapshots. when I got yeah when I got married I was I was um a girl on fire I was excited to build into the purpose and passion of my career and I was excited to learn and grow with another human that felt in alignment with me and I was ready to apologize if I made a mistake, but I was also ready for like the big, grandiose, beautiful things that we were going to do together. And I felt energized and strong um, in the depths of my hurt and my marriage. I felt like a shell. Mm -hmm. I was completely empty inside. I was perpetually on autopilot, keeping people alive literally. I did some things that I enjoyed, but I didn't find joy in them because I didn't have the capacity. I was just really an empty human. And I did a lot of pretending. And now I feel like I am a bright light of energy and joy and excitement. I feel like every day is on purpose mm -hmm. and life is happening for me all the time and everything that I do is with intention and with integrity and I'm not pretending and I'm not faking it and I'm not empty inside I feel very full even when things don't exactly go how I want them to go I'm no longer drained by the challenges of life I actually feel empowered and excited for what I can learn on the other side of life's difficulties because it wouldn't be life without hard times and beautiful times. Yeah. What a beautiful uh, summary. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so glad. I mean, it, these stories are so wonderful. Not, not like the hard part, but what comes out of, the struggle right that, that there is another right. side to the struggle you know there, yeah. there's there there is getting to another side of it mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean they're like we're going to continue to have struggle when probably until the day we die but it's it's just you know for those people who are super unhappy right now there is there are ways to be happy again even if maybe you never were happy there are ways to be happy. A hundred percent. There are yeah. absolutely ways. And I think, you know, we get stuck and we're like, I've never been happy, so I can't ever be. And it's right. like, just because you've never had the experience 
doesn't mean it's inaccessible. Right. Um, and you get to design your life and make your choices. You can live by design or you can live by default. You get to choose those things. And yes, I love that, that. Is, design yeah. or default. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I get to do with the women that I work with. Like, it's not really like this all the time, unless you want it to be, hey. But if you don't, then there's something, there are choices. You always have choices. You always right. have choices. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell people who you are, what you do, and how they can find you online. Yeah. So my name is Elizabeth Soto Baez. Most people call me Liz. I'm a women's empowerment coach and a trauma-informed breathwork facilitator. I primarily work with divorced women in their 30s and 40s who feel like life is empty. They are working on autopilot and they don't understand how to create the life that they love because it feels impossible. And I work with them to create freedom, peace, confidence, and self-love. And you can find me on Facebook. So my name on Facebook is Elizabeth Soto Baez and my private Facebook group, which is free to join with tons of content and support is called Launch Your Life, Divorce Women Creating Freedom, Confidence, and Self-Love. So come find me. All right. And you're a coach too, right? I am a women's do, empowerment you, coach. You yep. Coach, so you I do, do one-on-one coaching. I do one-on-one coaching. I do health and life coaching in my empowerment one-on-one container. Um, I have a group coaching program that's going to be launching at the end of February. So that's something uh, to be on the lookout for. And then um, you can just find me on Facebook. Send me a DM. You can come join my Facebook group. Again, it's called Launch Your Life, Divorce Women, Creating Freedom, Confidence, and Self-Love. I'd love to connect with you. Um, I also offer a free empowerment call so we can do that too. Like, what is it that you're struggling with? Why does that feel hard? And how can you get out of that space now? Not when your kids grow up, not when things are better, not when the economy shifts. How can you live your best life today? And we get to do that together in my free empowerment call. So if that's exciting, just come find me. We'll hang out. I love it. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Liz. This has been so fantastic. Yes. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure connecting and chatting with you. And this has been Julie Brown on Bold Becoming. Hey there. The value that you got from this today, take it into your heart. Add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life your daily habits, the takeaways that you got from this. Words and thoughts only take us so far. It's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life. Ideas are just ideas. Taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth. Freedom from our past invisible binding. We're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints. With awareness, intention, and through taking action on new choices, we evolve. In this process, we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us. We all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be. 
If today's episode added value to your life, please share it with others. And make sure to subscribe to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. And if you might, take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast. If you'd like to contact me for one-on-one coaching or to get on the wait list for my Tough Stories workshop, send me an email and we'll be in touch. Be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes. Thank you.